Today's episode of the New York Football Podcast is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think Giants tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download GameTime in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last-minute tickets. You're listening to the New York Football Podcast with Tim McMaster and Dan Duggan. Hey everybody, Lizzo said it best, truth hurts. It is October 7th, episode 14 of the New York Football Podcast, Tim McMaster along with Dan Duggan. And Dan, Kirk Cousins suddenly look like the guy that, that is he's supposed to look like based on his contract and all the money he's making. The Vikings rip up the Giants. 28-10 to 10 is the final. Um, I guess first, before we dive into this and we'll get into the offense and, and Jones and how he played and the defense, which is all banged up, we'll cover it all. But before we get to that, were you surprised at all at just how quickly this kind of got out of hand? No, I mean, I think we talked last week that this was going to be a pretty tall task. And you know, I think if, you know, I remember right, both of our predictions were, you know, 10 points or two touchdowns. So, uh, no, I mean, the Vikings are a better team. I think it was a little bit of a dose of reality. I mean, I think fans were uh, were starting to dream a little bit, you know, because Daniel Jones had, had really shot some life into the franchise. Um, but, you know, this was just sort of reality check that you're not ready to really contend this year, which is fine. That's, that's really never been the idea. Um, but, you know, seeing the Vikings come in, I mean, that's a pretty complete team. Certainly uh, helped to go against the Giants defense to get their offense right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't take any big surprise from that because, I mean, listen, if the Giants had competed with them or if they had beaten them, now that would have been a big surprise. And then the league would have been unnoticed. But, no, I mean, this, you know, this is what I you know, really expected going into the game. There's plenty of negatives to get to, and we will do that. But I did want to take a, a few positives. And, you know, Pat Shermer's play calling was not perfect by any means. Uh, there was the safety where on the one-inch line he runs it into the line, and, and it was terrible. But there was an aggressiveness to this team, um, even when they were down, that he kept going for it. There was the fourth downs that didn't work out, but he went for it. Um, I was just encouraged because there's so many conservative coaches in the NFL Um I like to see a guy like Shermer was in that second half just going for it and saying, like, you know what? A field goal here isn't going to help us win this football game. And a lot of coaches would kick the field goal anyway, but they went for it on those fourth downs. It didn't work out, but I like the aggressiveness. What was your thought on on just those play calls late in the game and Shermer's overall approach to the game? Yeah, I mean, I like his just general aggressiveness because I agree with you. There's so many, you know, coaches who will just sell for field goals in spots where you're down by, you know, two scores or more, and it's just, you know, it's pointless. Now, I didn't think, you know, Sundays was, you know, particularly remarkable only because situations kind of dictated them, I felt like. You know, I mean, you're down, was it 25 to 10 when they went for one of the ones down by the goal line? You know, kind of have to go for that one there. It's the, you know, early fourth quarter or late third. I can't remember exactly. And then the two after that, I mean, it was really pretty dire. Um, so I'm, I'm not going to give the uh, Pat Schirmer credit to because I want to go back to the thing you sort of glossed over. I hated the play call <laughs> on the safety. Like, it was... Yes. It, it, it's all the stuff that, you know, goes against the progressive thoughts, you know, because Shermer being aggressive, that's, you know, progressive. But you got you backed up on your one yard line after a great play by Jabril Peppers, you know, saved a touchdown, chance to really swing momentum. Now, listen, 
best case, maybe you just you know get out a little bit and you end up punting and, and field position a little bit. But to come up with three tight ends, you haven't been able to move the ball at all on the ground. You're down to your third running back, who's an undrafted free agent who just got called up on the practice squad. And you decide we're going to just pound the rock against a team that is superior across the board. I mean, if you go back and watch that play, the Vikings, all 11 defensive players were within five yards of the line of scrimmage when the ball was snapped. Now, I definitely think that Jones or Jalapio, someone had to recognize that and, and audible out. And, and maybe Shermer didn't want to throw them under the bus after the game. But he still sent in that play call. I don't know what you think you're going to get with that personnel grouping. I mean, Cody Latimer was the only wide receiver. At least put Sterling Shepard or Darius Slayton, someone who's a threat. But you have this athletic quarterback. That that situation was begging for a play fake and a rollout. And, you know, if nothing's there, you throw it away. Or there's a chance to just get a quick five-yard you know, out or something like that to just get out from under the, you know, the shadow of your own goalpost. I just really, really hated it. And I hated even more Shermer's reaction after the game because he has this tendency – when he gets questioned about something, he gets super sensitive. And I think, again, I think he might have been even more sensitive because it probably was on Jones or Alapio or someone to, to see that they were all crowding the box that much. And, he, you know, he kind of feels like he's backed into a corner. It wasn't even his mistake, but he's going to cover for them. But for him to say, ah, it's just two points. We lost by 18. I mean, that is the weirdest. Yeah. I mean, oh, touchdown's <laughs> only worth six. We lost, you know, like, that's just the weirdest mindset to have. And then he kind of went back to the Francesa thing. That was a good question, though. Tough question. Like, I, I don't know. It's just the sensitivity comes shining through whenever they lose, whenever he gets questioned. Um, so, yeah, so sorry to just totally go on a tangent from your question. But, yeah, the aggressiveness was you know fine, and that really has been his MO. I like that overall. But I thought yesterday was much more bad than good. It wasn't just the safety. I hated some of the play calls in the red zone. I mean, it's third down. I think it was third and two from the three. You know it's four down territory, that situation. And you throw up a fade to Engram. I hate fades. Yeah. Uh, Engram has never been very good at contested catches. It's, you know, it's odd. Engram's skill set seems like it should be better than it is. I mean, he's had a great year, but that's not his strength. Contested catches, you know, catching balls in traffic. That's never been his thing. It seems like maybe it should be, but I, I didn't like that play call. Yeah, you know, just, you know, just some of the red zone play calling in general. I mean, they, they were shorthanded for sure. They couldn't run the balls. They tried to do little, you know, cute things like jet sweeps, but that didn't work. Um, so he's kind of calling plays maybe with one hand tied behind his back. But I still just didn't like the play calls. And again, going back to that safety, that one was just screaming for something other than what they tried to do. And certainly it's easy to say after the result. But I mean, if, if Barr didn't get him, there's two other guys. I mean, he got he got a safety like three yards deep in the end zone. Usually you're clawing to get back to the goal line. It wasn't even close. So, uh, you know, that was a disaster from the get-go. Yeah, and such a huge momentum swing because they Peppers did make the great play. They get the turnover when it looked like uh, the Vikings were definitely going to go in for a touchdown. They get the ball back, and then the next play, suddenly it goes from such a, a turning point to another turning point, and then they're punting, and the Vikings have the ball back. All right, let's dig into Jones a little bit because uh, for the first time since he took over here under center, he, he definitely looked like a rookie at times. 21 for 38, 182 yards, had a touchdown and an interception. Um, and there was just missed throws, too, that that hurt. Um, some early, Dan, some later on. First possession, he missed what would have been a touchdown to Shepard. Then there was the third quarter play to Shepard, too, where he just a little high, and Shepard was unable to, to stay in bounds on what would have been a touchdown. So we'll get into all the different things of Jones, but but one of the things that stood out to me was just missing opportunities. Yeah, and, and to say, you know, he looked like a rookie, which and I wrote, I mean, that's not an insult. I mean, no, obviously, A, no. that's what he is. And it's three games into his NFL career, and he went against one of the top five defenses in the NFL. Again, if he had lit them up yesterday, you would be saying, oh, my goodness, we have the next Patrick Mahomes here. And maybe he gets that level still. 
But he's human, and, and he's going to struggle. He's got a weak supporting cast yesterday, of course, with the running game. The offensive line, you know, really took a step back. So he's, he's going to, you know, be human on, in those situations. The first one to Shepard, I can't really put too much on him on that one because he got drilled in the back as he threw it. Uh, so that, you know, that's going to probably affect your accuracy just a hair. And I really think Shepard, you know, it's a tough catch, but it is, even he said it's one he probably has to come up with. The one in the red zone was, was more egregious because I'd have to really watch that from the uh, the coach's film because on the TV copy, I don't really understand why he, he let it go. I think it just kind of a misthrow, uh, came out higher than he intended and couldn't connect there. So that one hurt. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he's going to miss throws. I mean, he definitely ha- has gotten away with some sort of questionable throws um, and you're just not going to get away with them against a defense like this. I mean, I think, you know, Harrison Smith just, you know, he plays center field probably as well as any safety in the league. And Really looking at that Vikings defense was was a, a stark reminder of how far away the Giants are because they have studs at every level of that defense, and I think the windows just closed a little quicker than than Jones has been used to, and, and some of the completions that were there against the Redskins and the Bucks just weren't there because you know Minnesota was sort of swarming all over the field. Yeah, Jones on the Giants' third possession too. He only had the one interception, but uh, he was almost picked off by Smith down the sideline on a throw. And then the next play, he rolled out and was almost picked off again by Hughes. He was definitely playing with fire a little bit early. And you said it: this Vikings team is is loaded with talent and guys that can can make big plays. Now. As much as he struggled at times, Jones also, I thought, never really looked overwhelmed. So we'll give him a a positive for that. And he did get things going at some point. And it didn't feel like it was too big for him. And he hung in there um, and made some plays, although he couldn't quite make the the key play at the key moment. Um, He was also shorthanded. But... But he was he hung in, and Shermer said good things about that after the game as far as that concerned. And he got compliments from the Vikings as well. I was actually a little surprised to hear uh, Everson Griffin after the game for the Vikings, the defensive end, um, kind of giving a shout-out to Jones. He said, I want to give a shout-out to the Rook. He's doing really good. He's shown courage. He's a good player. So I see good things happening for him in the future. That was a bit of a surprise. So even a game where he struggled a bit, Jones was still able to raise some eyebrows, not just um, for his performance at moments, but from the other team. Yeah, and I think that comment from Griffin says a lot because, I mean, these are the guys obviously out there in the field. They know that their game plan is, listen, they don't got Saquon. Then Wayne Gallman goes out on the first series. Uh, they know it's pretty much all on this rookie quarterback. And like you said, he never got rattled. And I'm sure they're thinking, we're going to throw the kitchen sink at him and he's going to be throwing the ball for grabs. I mean, even his only pick was desperation mode, you know, last drive or whatever it was. So, um, you know, he, he didn't, you know, turtle up. And uh, you said, you know, he's kind of playing with fire on a few of those throws. And I actually like that. Again, you, as he goes forward, you know, he'll rein that in a little bit. But and I don't I know fans will probably get tired of comparing everything to Eli. Eli had gone so far in the other direction where he never made any risky throws. Everything was safe and the offense was just limited. At least with Jones, he's giving guys chances to make plays. Now, they didn't come through. He didn't get a lot of help from his receivers on Sunday. Um, but he's not afraid. He, he still is going to make tough throws give guys a shot to make plays down the field. I mean, you're losing by two scores most of that game. You can't be checked down Charlie, and he wasn't. Um, you know, he definitely was getting battered in that pocket under a lot of pressure, but you never saw him, you know, start to hear footsteps or, or just get the ball out. Now, again, there's times where he can get it out faster probably, but I'd much rather try to work with a guy who is aggressive, who's trying to make plays, and as he gets more comfortable and gets more experience, we can kind of rein him in a little bit at times. But that's so much easier to work with, in my opinion, than a guy who's going to be shell-shocked and dancing in the pocket and just trying to get the ball out as fast as possible. And you just didn't see that from Jones. And I think Griffin's comments speak to that, that they knew they were getting after this kid, but he just kept getting up, kept trying to make plays. 
Uh, you know, the touchdown pass to Slayton was a, was a great throw. I mean, that was against a you know Pro Bowl corner in Xavier Rhodes. Couldn't have placed it any better. Um, so I mean, there was there was a lot of good, but I mean, again, it was he was shorthanded. Very good defense, but I mean, we have to remember we're, we're grading him on a rookie scale here as his third start. He might have raised the bar so high with that debut, but all in all, I mean, th- this was not a terrible performance by him by any stretch. Yeah, the throw to Slayton was was a special one, and that made it ten to seven at the time, and gave you this glimmer of hope that okay, uh, maybe this team can hang with the Vikings. That only lasted so long. You mentioned the receivers, uh, so we should get to that a little bit. Um, it was the debut of the season, obviously for Golden Tate. Um, didn't go great for Tate. Just three catches for thirteen yards. After the game, he seemed disappointed, not just in the performance stand, but in the amount of plays he got. They were all in the slot position, which you kind of alluded to going into the week that he would play mostly in that slot. Um, but he was only out there for about two thirds of the offensive plays. Um, do you think that changes? Was this just because it was Tate's debut for the season, or are we going to end up with a a disgruntled receiver back with the Giants again? <laughs> you know, that'll be something if he comes in and he does an interview with Lil Wayne or something after uh, the guy he replaced. But no, I mean, it's his first game back, 31 years old, hadn't played in a football game or had a you know, real practice. I don't care what you do with your trainer out in San Diego. It's, it's not the same thing. There were 69 offensive snaps in that game. The last thing you want is Golden Tate to play 69 offensive snaps and strain a hamstring on snap 67 because yeah. he's, you know, trying to get downfield and he hasn't pushed himself that limit. So I'm not shocked that he played, you know, 46 snaps. Uh, I will say, though, it's something to monitor because his body language was not good because there was a lot. Of, he basically only played in three receiver sets. And, you know, when they'd mix it up with two receivers, it'd be Shepard and either Latimer or Slayton. And maybe that was designed just because of the package. They know the playbook better. They want to, you know, again, bring Tate along slowly, play him just in the slot, whatever it may be. But he walked off the field slower and slower as that game went on when they went to three receivers to two. And, you know, his comments after the game you know, weren't that bad. But sort of a little tone deaf. Like the reason why your role is reduced is because you did something to get yourself suspended for four games. It's not like you're coming back from injury. It's not like there was something, you know, that the coaching staff is punishing you. You put yourself in this position. So no one really wants to hear that you're not happy about your role. Now, I understand he probably isn't. He had, you know, catch on the first play from scrimmage and, you know, didn't have a catch again until the, the late garbage time drive. So I understand that that would be frustrating. But his role, I think, will increase because, again, he, he's going to get back in the flow. Now, they signed him to be a big part of this offense. It'd still be curious, though, when they're in two receiver sets, do they feel comfortable with him outside and Shepard on the other side? Or is they going to just run more three receiver sets? That's stuff we don't really know. Um, but like I said, just that's just something to store away. I don't think it's going to be a huge problem. But I just didn't love the body language coming off the field a few times. And just seemed like, you know, he felt a little entitled to playing time. Like, listen, you know, the offense has been doing okay without you. You got to kind of earn your time back. And again, they're looking out for you. Because they don't want you don't want to come back and pull a hamstring and be out for four more weeks. So I think all that played into it, and um, I, I think his role will definitely be bigger going forward. Yeah, and Slayton had the touchdown. That was a big catch for him, four for sixty-two overall. But he had more of a uh, more downs for Slayton, which I think is something we're going to continue to see. Right, uh, Slayton, Shepard, and Tate are going to become the the main three. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's only a matter of time before Cody Latimer's snaps are going more and more to Slayton because even. On Sunday, you know, Slayton played 45, Latimer only played 32. So that sort of reversal where he, you know, he's jumped over Latimer to be that number three receiver, or again, even really number two when they're doing two receiver sets. But he just brings something The Tate and Shepard and Ingram, all these guys have their own skill set. They don't bring the downfield threat. And we've seen it time and time again in Slayton's minimal opportunities. He's made plays down the field. You, you just need that to function as an offense. So he's going to force his way onto the field. 
I think he's better than Latimer right now. But even if it's close now, he's the guy who has the future. I mean, he's a draft pick. He's signed for the next four years. Latimer's on a one-year deal. He's sort of a journeyman. You kind of know what you have with him. I, I don't think they really need to give Cody Latimer very many snaps if Slayton's going to keep playing like this. Because again, everything this year comes back to building a foundation. And, and you see a nice chemistry already with Jones and Slayton. So just let Slayton play because he's shown that he's ready for it. Make him the number three receiver. Your, your core kind of going forward is going to be Engram, Slayton, Shepard, and, and you know Tate for as long as he's here. So let those guys play. And, and you know Cody Latimer's snaps can decrease, and, and I don't think anyone's going to really miss him. All the talk going into the game was about the other receiving core, the Vikings, the disgruntled uh, Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs. And, hey, the Giants did a great job of, of making that group happy, Dan, on Sunday. <laughs> Um, Thielen, seven catches, 130 yards, couple of touchdowns. Most of that damage done in the first half. And um, he, he scores the touchdown there um, in the second quarter. First play of the second quarter, and they're dancing in the end zone. And it was like nothing had ever gone wrong. Um, it wasn't as, as uh, great a performance for Diggs. He just had three catches for 44 yards. But Cousins overall, 22 of 27, 300 yards, couple of touchdowns, no picks. He was throwing the ball downfield, which has been the, the big criticism of him is that he just checks down kind of like what you said about Eli Manning all that time. Um, but he wasn't afraid to throw it downfield against the Giants. Um, I, I feel like that says as much as anything about where this Giants defense is at is the fact that you have a quarterback who has kind of made himself known for being a guy who takes the short passes, and he was slinging it against the Giants. Yeah, and I think the Giants' only hope in that game was that Minnesota would just be kind of so distracted and overwhelmed by their inner turmoil that the Giants could take advantage, but it turned out they just needed to see the Giants' defense, and that turned (laughs) out to be the perfect remedy. Uh, The kind of cruel twist for Pat Shermer is, you know, he was there for two years, and, and their offensive coordinator now, Kevin Stefanski, was there under Shermer. He certainly used you know, Shermer's medicine against him because that rollout the, where they play fake rollout and they had just kind of like a flood concept where you have three receivers coming across with cousins at different levels. They killed them with that over and over and over again. And it was a smart game plan because it puts guys sort of in conflict in the zone. So I go with the low guy, the middle guy, the deep guy, and, and just over and over. That's where they found feeling on the sort of like 10 to 15 yard crossers where nobody was, you know, in, in the zip code, some of them, or if they were, they missed the tackles. Um, so they just kind of kept it simple and just pounded them over and over. And it was so effective because, you know, Cook is gashing them on the ground. So it's kind of pick your poison. They're reacting to the play fake. So then by the time Cousin, you know, rolls out the other way, there's just not a heck of a lot of uh, defenders there because everyone's crashed towards Cook. So uh, it was a good game plan by Minnesota. And, and like you said, you know, Thielen, uh, you know, really exploited them. I think sort of quietly we've started to see some of the, the cracks in this defense where, you know, at first it was kind of like everybody – but as certain guys have settled down, the, the spotlight probably gets brighter on some guys. And I think Grant Haley, uh, you know, he's kind of a nice story. He's undersized, undrafted free agent. He's, he's a plucky kind of guy. But he's been getting exposed lately in coverage. And, you know, Thielen beat him pretty easily for that touchdown uh, on the favor route from the slot. Um, you know, I think that might be a spot where Julian Love didn't look great this summer. But maybe it's time to give him a look there. Um, you know, Antoine Bethea. I mean, he knows the playbook, but doesn't help you a heck of a lot if you're, you know, so slow to react and, and missing tackles. So, uh, again, the problem is they don't have a ton of options because Julian Love's right the backup there, too. And, and, again, Love didn't look great this summer. I know everyone wants him to get on the field, and, and maybe that's where they end up going. Um, but they don't have great backups in, in place to replace those guys. But, you know, they've stood out a little bit as, as sort of weak links in the secondary because, you know, Jenkins kind of is Jenkins. 
Uh, Baker's, you know, settled down. He probably took a little step back yesterday. His, his tackling is awful. I mean, he's gotten better in coverage, but him and Jenkins, it's, it's tough to watch. I mean, and, and we're there at practice, especially in training camp. They do all the drills where you wrap up and they have this donut they roll and guys have to wrap it up. And then they get in the games and they just do those like dive bomb shoulders at guys' ankles. <laughs> and it's painful to watch. And uh, and then the other guy in the, in the secondary, obviously, is Peppers, who uh, is making some splash plays. Uh, it's really what this team needed. It's, you know, what I was calling for from early in the season. I'll have to go back and, and rewatch the game because, I mean, he's in the box a lot and they're getting run all over. So I don't know if down in and down out he's playing great. But listen, he's at least making plays, and that's more than you can say for most of these guys on defense. Dalvin Cook, you mentioned he ripped through the defense, and there was giant gaping holes in this defensive line. 21 carries, 132 yards. He added six catches for 86 yards. So Dalvin Cook showed us everything that he can be, which is one of the best running backs in the NFL. Um, I thought it really showed a spotlight on the uh, the injuries on this Giants team, though, watching Cook do what he did. You starting David Mayo and, and Nate Stupart inside linebacker, and they just seemed – this defense seemed overmatched. We talk about the receivers and what they did, and they're celebrating, but really the ground game – was such a glaring hole and you have Ogletree out and Davis out and Connolly out. And I don't know how you fix that. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, you you know, you saw what happens when you start two guys off the street and inside linebacker, it's, it's, you know, it's going to play out like that. Um, you know, Mayo was, was pretty impressive against Washington. I, you know, I think he kind of came back to earth a little bit yesterday, man. I still like the way he plays hard, but uh, there's just a, there's a ceiling there and Stupar, I just I don't get it. I mean, there's gotta be somebody out there better. I don't care if he knows the system. He just can't tackle anybody. That's sort of a, a big uh, <laughs> priority for an inside linebacker. But, um, you know, I think that they'll hopefully get Tay Davis back uh, from the concussion. Not sure about Ogletree. It is going to be tough because it's a short turnaround here. Uh, but, again, the, those guys weren't playing great either. I mean, the Connolly loss is, is huge. Um, but at least you'll have guys in there who are, you know, legitimate NFL linebackers, where I don't know if that's been the case uh, the last two weeks. And, and it's also – that was a bad matchup for them because Minnesota likes to run the ball. They play, you know, big personnel. They play their fullback, you know, as much as any team in the league. They run a lot of two tight end stuff. So you can't really do the three safety look that had had some success in the previous weeks because then you're just going to get bullied. So it, it's sort of, again, back to the pick your poison thing where, okay, you know, you want to put like Michael Thomas in there and play Peppers at linebacker. Well, then Peppers is really going to be, you know, going against bigger guys every play. And that's going to be tough for him to really make an impact in that situation. I, you know, I don't know what the right answer is because, you know, Stupar is not making an impact, even though he's a little more stout. So that was just like, it was just a bad matchup. I mean, Michael Thomas only played uh, 13 snaps. So it certainly wasn't, uh, the game plan certainly wasn't to play the three safety package. They didn't, uh, I don't know that that would have made any, any bit of a difference. Because again, you know, Minnesota just stylistically was a bad matchup for, for a team to be missing, you know, their top three inside linebackers. All right, let's check in on on the running backs because Gallman um, gets the concussion, so he goes into the concussion protocol, and with the game coming up on Thursday, it seems nearly impossible to make that turnaround. It's just a process that takes longer than that. Um, So you have Hilleman, and then you have Saquon Barkley, who seems to be targeting a Thursday return. Um, Now there's suddenly pressure on him to return because Gallman's out. The Giants, they got to be really careful here, Dan, don't they? Yeah, I mean, like, like you said with Gallman, I don't, unless they misdiagnose it or something, if you have a concussion, there's just stages you have to pass, and you right. ne- no, guys never get cleared by Thursday after a Sunday game, so they'd have to really speed up the process, and I don't know that you can because it's all you know, independently evaluated. So hard to see him being back for Thursday. Uh, and, you know, your point on Saquon, I, like the idea of pressure, there should be no pressure. Like they just cannot make a decision 
based on putting all their eggs and trying to beat the Patriots on the road on Thursday night football in week six. You know, it just, they have to be smart with him. Now, if he's 100% healthy, then of course you're going to play him. I just have a hard time believing he's going to be 100% healthy. I know he's a freak. I know he's ahead of schedule. And, and he was doing stuff last week. But he's not doing it full speed. He's not doing it in pads. He's not, you know, cutting against a defender. You know, I, I talked about the skipping thing. I still haven't seen him jump and land on that foot. I mean, if he's still being protective of it three, four days before the game, I mean, again, maybe he gets to 100% by Thursday, but I would absolutely err on the side of caution because then you're looking at 11 extra days before he comes back for the Cardinals, a game that's certainly much more winnable because I think even with Saquon, you know, Thursday is certainly going to be a tall task. But you just can't be making short-term decisions, and, and Wayne Gallman not being in the lineup can't force you to put, you know, your franchise player in the lineup sooner than he might be ready. So they might have to take their lumps and, you know, bring back one of those veteran running backs who was in for a workout a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, whatever they have to do just to patch it up for this week. But I do think he's probably going to play because, you know, he seems hell-bent on playing. Uh, they don't seem to be overly conservative, um, you know, with guys coming back from injuries. So it's it's going to be dicey because I'm all I will say is the worst-case scenario is for him to come back, aggravate an injury that has a tendency to be aggravated, and then he's missing four to six weeks or it's lingering and he never gets back to – you know, form the whole season because he's just constantly playing through it and, and rehabbing and never really getting back to that same level. I think they should just exercise caution, let him take, you know, like I said, another, you know, get two full weeks before that Cardinals game. I think he would probably be 100% by then. And, and just like I said, suck it up on Thursday night and it's probably going to be ugly either way. Overall, the Giants 20 carries, 64 yards on Sunday. Um, yeah, Hilleman would be the guy otherwise. So do you think they – did they bring somebody in? Does somebody get signed this week probably just as depth? Yeah, I mean, they might need to do it anyways because yeah. Hilleman just he, – he, he did not look, you know, like a you know NFL running back in terms of his explosiveness or his vision or his cuts. I mean, he kind of just puts his head down, plows straight ahead and gets what's there, and there wasn't a heck of a lot there, and there, there's not going to be a heck of a lot there against the Patriots. I mean, they have – Another undrafted rookie, Austin Walter, on their practice squad, but you know he's like a scat back. He's you know five eight, you know in his cleats. So I don't know that he'd be the answer. Um, you know, it's funny they always Shermer always jokes about Eli Penny is like says, "Oh, I'm a converted running back," like because he he's you know listed as fullback and that's his primary role. But he actually, I mean, he's been pretty good. Like when they give him the ball, so I mean, I wouldn't have a problem with him being the number one back, even if you know Hilleman's his backup because I, I feel like Penny has, has played you know pretty well when he gets the ball. I mean, again, he's not a game breaker either, uh, but he looked better than Hilleman yesterday. And then, yeah, I think they have to bring somebody in. I mean, it, it's hindsight, but sure, it'd be nice to have Paul Perkins around. Um, but they did bring in some veterans a couple of weeks ago when they when Saquon first got hurt. You know, Zach Zenner or you know, Fozzie Whitaker. There's one other guy, uh, Benny Cunningham, maybe. Uh, none of those guys are going to be game breakers, but it, I think they're going to need another body, especially if Saquon's out, because you, you know, I don't think you can just say, like, you know, Hilleman and Penny's you know, enough to get us through this game. So they would need to add a body just to get through Thursday if Saquon's out. So it's going to be tough. Uphill sledding, certainly, against the Patriots on Thursday. But, Dan, it could be worse. You could be a Redskins fan. Uh, things are looking bad in the nation's capital. Jay Gruden fired this morning. Uh, the Redskins off to an 0-5 start. They lost to the Patriots on Sunday. So Gruden wraps up his time in D.C., five-plus seasons. He went 4-12 and in his first season, then 9-7, and 8-7-1, then then obviously the uh, – the, the roof fell in this year. Um, on top of all that, they had the, the video that came out through TMZ that was, I guess, about a year old of him where it looks like he's smoking marijuana, talking to a younger woman. Um, just things are really bad in D.C. right now. So I guess Giants fans can at least 
uh, have solace in the fact that that it's not that bad. <laughs> yeah, it's for, and when he says the uh, the key card line, if, you know, if key card's still working on Monday, I'll be here. That that right. was a kiss of death because that was the McAdoo <laughs> line, and then the next day he got fired. Whenever you guys start talking about these guys start talking about key cards, you know they're on uh, on borrowed time. And yeah, no, I mean that that franchise is a disaster. I mean they need to clean house. It's you it can't. It's, Jay Gruden isn't the reason why that franchise. Well, you can't been, you can't get rid of the owner though. That's, that's the problem. That's certainly the problem. But they need to you know they need to get rid of Bruce Allen. They need to you know get a GM in here. Give him full power, and, and and Snyder has to step in the background. I know that again, like you said, that's easier said than done because at the end of the day, he's the one signing the check. So if he wants something, he's going to get it. Um, but the, you know, and, and until they are willing to do that, they're probably just going to be in this cycle. I mean, it's actually kind of remarkable that they you know made the playoffs a couple times here be, with Gruden because um, it's just really a poorly run franchise, and uh, it's going to get worse before it gets better. I'm sure because they're probably going to turn it over to Haskins at some point. He didn't look ready. Uh, you got some big personalities on that team that probably aren't going to, you know, accept, uh, you know, a, a total teardown rebuild. So, uh, yeah, definitely things are a little better in East Rutherford than uh, down in the nation's capital. Yeah, better to be the team that, that was down and is, is starting to build towards something than the one that is just bottoming out. So Bill Callahan will take over as the interim coach in D.C., and we'll see if they can get anything done this season. 0-5, and, and you look at the schedule, and that doesn't look like a, a lot of wins out there for the Washington Redskins. So that brings us to Thursday night, prime time for the Giants in New England against the Patriots. Um, it's a Patriots team that's 5-0 and and, and looks – Every bit the defending Super Bowl champs that they are, and they they it's hard to see them lose. I'm sure at some point, you know, they're probably going to lose a game. They they have been undefeated once through a regular season, but you would think at some point somebody will catch up with them. I'm not sure if the Giants are that team. That said, Daniel Jones is going to have all the attention on him from the Giants' perspective. You know, the the national media for these these primetime games picks out the big storyline. It's going to be. The Patriots are the Patriots, and it's going to be all about Daniel Jones for the Giants. Yeah, I mean, who's to say they start Jones? I mean, Eli has the magic touch against these guys, so maybe, <laughs> maybe that's the answer here. I mean, that, that would have been, I'm sure, you know, NBC or Fox, whoever's broadcasting this game, probably upset because they probably had a great package they've been working on all summer of you know, Eli, Brady, and Belichick and all that, and they don't get to trot it out. But, yeah, I mean, listen, with Jones, everything is just a great opportunity for him. I mean, there couldn't be a stiffer challenge for a rookie quarterback to go into Foxborough where they almost never lose, have to go against a Bill Belichick defense that is playing as well as any Bill Belichick defense ever. I mean, they're not even giving up a touchdown a game, and I think even one of the touchdowns that they allowed was on a pick six. I mean, defense is is just lights out right now. Uh, and then you also add in the fact that it's a short week. So, I mean, welcome to the NFL. I mean, it just it only gets tougher if you thought Minnesota was a, a big challenge. But I think that's great because, again, everything is about building – and Jones goes through the trials by fire this year. You know, you figure he'll be better for it down the road when he meets Brady in a Super Bowl in like eight years when Brady's going for like his 15th ring. <laughs> but it, it's it's just all a positive. Again, even if he's terrible, he's just going to come back and the schedule will lighten up a little bit. And, and everything kind of just goes in that bucket of experience and growth. But, I mean, this is as stiff a test as it gets. Uh, and, again, I really think this one, you know, could get ugly on Thursday night. 
Yeah, 6.8 points game are what the Patriots are allowing. And the pick six that you mentioned wasn't even Brady. They put Jared Stidham in for, for a series, and he threw the pick six, and they, they gave up the points that way. So um, it's been incredible. They've, they've suffered some injuries, and it doesn't seem to matter. Uh, Dante Hightower came out after the game on Sunday and said that he calls this defense, they're the boogeyman, which is there's just an attitude there again. It's almost like um, the beginning of that dynasty where – Brady was kind of the guy who just kind of ran the offense and was somewhat conservative and the defense with with uh, Brewski and Ty Law and all those guys were kind of the stars that won games. Then it went all offense for a while, and now it's back to the defense. That said, Brady's still there. He's still pretty good. They've had their ups and downs on offense this season, but it, it seems like this Giants defense is probably exactly what they've been looking for to get going. I, it's going to be a real struggle with the, the injuries the way they are. Is there any chance they get the linebackers back by Thursday? Yeah, I was going to cut you off when you said that Brady's been struggling a little bit because, A, yeah, they still put a decent amount of points, but, B, we just saw with the Kirk Cousins that the, the uh, Giants defense <laughs> exactly. uh, can, can help you get well. But, no, I mean, I think Davis will be back because I think he was pretty close last week. He was in a non-contact jersey by the end of the week. Now he's had a few more days. You know, again, the concussion protocol is a little unpredictable. But I, I would think he's back. Ogletree, a little tougher to say. He didn't practice all week last week. You know, we, we know hamstrings can be tricky. So I would, you know, we won't really know. I mean, they, they, have, they don't even actually have a practice on Monday, but they'll have to put an injury report. I would assume he probably won't participate or, you know, limited at best. So he's a little iffy. Um, but even if they're at full strength, this is going to be a huge challenge. I mean, the Patriots can beat you in so many different ways. I mean, I, mean, I feel like Josh McDaniel is going to go in that film room and and, and just, the, you know, the amount of options are, are going to overwhelm him because we all know, you know, fantasy football owners know the Patriots love to just change their game plan week to week. Like it could be this running back this week and a different one the next week or they're going to air it out, you know, this game. So we don't, you don't even know what to prepare for. So it's just going to be such a huge challenge getting all these young defensive players ready you know, for their biggest test on a short week, I keep going back to that because, you know, the schedule makers didn't do many favors here. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, whatever sort of struggles the, the Patriots offense is having, um, I think the, the Giants defense will, will certainly be the remedy for those. And I say the Giants or the Patriots offense has struggled. That said, they scored 33 points against the Steelers in their opener, 43 against the Dolphins, 30 <laughs> against the Jets. It was that one game against the Bills where they really struggled 16-10 to 10 in that one, and then they scored 33 against the Redskins, although a lot of that on Sunday was in the second half. So uh, it's all relative as far as offensive struggles. They have weapons. <laughs> first, first world problems there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rex Burkhead didn't play the running back on Sunday. He was out. Ben Watson was out as well, but they have depth at the running back position. Um, and, and they have uh, the, the receivers, Edelman's back healthy. So there, there's plenty of weapons. Um, so if the Giants are, are going to do this, I would think they're going to have to somehow score points to do it. Um, is Are they going to come out, and is that going to be the approach, Dan, that, that Daniel Jones just, you know, just let them fire away, or do you have to be careful against this Patriots team? Yeah, that's a good question because there definitely is a balance. I, you know, I like that he's been aggressive, but – you don't want to just bash the kid's confidence in if he tries to be too aggressive against, you know, he's going to be seeing looks he's sure he's never seen before. Um, it's funny. I was looking at the Patriots depth chart on defense and I'm someone who's from Boston. So I'm, you know, relatively familiar with them. I couldn't have named probably five starters on that defense. You know I mean? It's not a bunch of big name guys, but that secondary is very good. You got the McCordy yeah. twins and, and Stephon Gilmore. Um, so it's, you know, their strength is going to kind of work against, um, you know, trying to air it out against them. I think, if anything, this is the game where you probably reach, reach in the bag of tricks, uh, you know, reverse pass, flea flickers, onside kicks, whatever. You know, if the game is close and you don't want to, 
you don't want to empty out the bag of tricks if you're going to lose, you know, 40 to 10 or something. But um, if the game is close, you know, this is the game to pull out all the stops. I think it's going to be very difficult for them to consistently mount drives against this defense. And likewise, I think it's going to be tough for them to consistently, you know, stop Tom Brady in that offense. I mean, they're going to need to make, you know, make plays on defense, get some turnovers, you know, a pick six or, or just, you know, short fields because they're just not going to go toe to toe for 60 minutes and, and just beat this team straight up. They need to, you know, get a few breaks, make a few of their own breaks by, like I said, trick plays or, or you know, just big, you know, defensive plays to, to swing the momentum. But I mean, I just keep coming back to, I think it's going to be, it's going to be really tough. All right. Prediction time. It's uh, the spread right now. Um, obviously it's coming off Sunday. So these are pretty fresh 16 and a half. The Patriots are favored by um, at home under the lights in Fox, bro. What do you think? Uh, yeah, this probably won't be a surprise if, you, if you've been noting the tone of my answers to all these questions. I, I think it's going to be like Patriots 38 to 13. I think that uh, this one will, will really get away from them. We've, we've seen that the Patriots aren't shy about you know running up the score and they get the chance. Um, and again, I just think you know, the matchups are, are really so weighted against them. Um, you, again, you just hope that Jones, you know, it doesn't get too crazy out of hand. Um, but I, I think this is just such a tall task. And I think the Patriots, national TV, obviously have some history with the Giants. They won't they won't mind if they get a chance to kind of, you know, put it on them a little bit. So I, I think this one will, uh, will be a pretty big blowout. I'm going to go 27 to 10. So still Patriots covering, but just by that, that half point, that spread could continue to grow throughout the week too. We'll, we'll be interesting to see. I think it opened at 16 and is already at 16 and a half. So we'll see how it goes going into Thursday. All right. If you want to hear more about the matchup with the Patriots, be sure to check out the Razors show with three-time Super Bowl champion, Matt Chatham and the athletics, Jeff Howe and Nick Underhill, just another great podcast here on the athletic podcast network. If you're not following him already, check out Dan on Twitter, of course, dduggin21. Uh, special thanks as well to Marissa Morris, our producer. We'll be back uh, later in the week on Friday because of the Thursday night game. That will be an athletic exclusive podcast. We'll have a full recap of that Patriots game. So we'll be back at you on Friday uh, with the Patriots recap. We'll talk to you then.